Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And whilst you're going there, I want to um, share with you um, a brief testimony in terms of my life. I, I gave my life to Jesus in 2010. I wasn't married when I gave my life to Jesus, but by 2015, um, I got married. And that same year, we started a church. Uh, it was a church plant. Uh, so that was August, September, three months after marriage, we started a church plant. November, October, December, two months after, we found out that we were expecting a baby. And um, I was a full-time teacher as well, and so just being newly married and expecting a baby and childcare fees in the UK is very expensive. I just remember that it was very, very difficult financially. And so, you know, my ambition was to go and find another job and make more money. But I remained in teaching and I said, you know what, I'm just going to climb the ladder. I, I climbed the ladder within schools that they said to me, you will be a head teacher very soon. And so my ambition whilst doing a church plant was to become a head teacher because I said that never again will me and my family suffer financially. And so whilst doing very well in the school, and our debts had been cleared, and I was looking forward to making more money because I had ambitions. I went to a 412 regional quip, and about four different elders had prophesied to me, and one by one they said, the Lord is calling you full-time into ministry. And I remember calling my wife, and I was crying on the phone to her saying, why is God calling me full-time? We've just secured ourselves a good job. You know, we're just on the up financially. I'm not sure I want to go full-time. And I remember after that regional quit, the week after I went to school. And when I went to school, I was in my classroom as normal and it just felt like I was in a prison. And I said, Lord, I, I have to obey your voice. So I went to the current head teacher and I said, you know, I'm going to be leaving teaching to go full time with ministry. And they said to me, the first thing they said to me, they said, are you crazy? You're, 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 you're growing a young family. You'll probably be having more children and the money is here. You're not going to get this kind of money in ministry. And what the head teacher then said to me is, I will give you a one-year sabbatical. They said, you can go and do ministry for one year, but this job is yours after the year. So I accepted it. I said, okay, brilliant. Got my job, can fall back on it. I remember going home that night and I couldn't sleep. I was troubled in my sleep. And I said, Lord, what is this? And the Lord reminded me of the Israelites leaving Egypt. 
And the Egyptians said to the Israelites, well, why don't you leave your wives? Why don't you leave your children so that you can come back? And God said, no, I want everything to leave so that you can come and worship me in the desert. So I remember going back to my head teacher the day after and I said, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful that you have offered me the sabbatical, but I'm going to decline the sabbatical. I'm leaving. And I remember going into full time, the church not necessarily having the finances to finance me full time. And I weren't sure how it was going to work out. But all I can say is going full time, the church finances doubled. It literally doubled when I went full time. That was 2019. We're now in 2022. My wife, the workload within the congregation is becoming difficult for me to be alone full time. And so there was talks about I need help. So my wife also um, is leaving, well, left primary school teaching four weeks ago to join me full time. We didn't have the finances for her full time. She's come on full time. The last two months, our finances have doubled since when I came on full time. And there's something about the provision of God. That in the wilderness, God could provide for the children of Israel. And the the striking test was that you must not preserve for tomorrow. Trust me each day. And I am on this journey of trust in him. And I will come back to this story later on. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, 4 to 7. It reads, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You see, Israel's Desire for a king, their wanting of a king was circumstantial. They said that we, we need a king just like the other nations. And what we notice about kings from history in the Bible and just historically is that some kings find favour and some kings lose favour depending on whether they meet the people's needs. And God says to Israel, you want a king, you are rejecting me as your king. God to them wasn't necessarily meeting their needs, so they wanted a new king. And the whole concept, the journey that I want us to to go on today is recognising that Jesus is our king. But what type of king is he to us? Is he the type of king that has to meet our needs? 
And if he doesn't meet our needs, then we will look for another king. Or is he the king that no matter the circumstance, I'm still going to follow you? In fact, God, you don't need to meet my needs. I lay down my life to accomplish your will. And so I want to bring us on a journey through John chapter 6. Because we have a group of people that are following Jesus and they want to make him a king based on what they can get from him. And so if we look at John chapter 6 and verse 1 to 2, it reads, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus was gathering a mass crowd because he was healing people. There was people who were demon possessed, who were set free. There were people who were paralytic and they were healed. The lame could walk again. The blind could see. The dead came to life. He was performing these signs and they said, we like this. They, they were gathered around him. And, and then he performed something that is incredible. In verse 10 to 11, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Jesus fed 5,000 people. So not only is he performing signs, not only can he heal you of your sickness, but now he gives you free food. And he gives you free packed lunch. And I've been leading a church for seven years now and on two occasions we've done food and fellowship. Food and fellowship is after service, we just provide food for everyone, free food. And that is when we have our largest services. We, we have people come from everywhere, north, east, south, west. I think some people may even come from the Antarctica, they smell food. And, and if, if I wanted to grow a church, if we wanted to grow a church strategically, all you have to do is meet the people's needs. But I question, is that a church? Or, or is it a social club? It's easy to draw a crowd. And, and Jesus was able to draw a crowd for what he done. But there came a point where he separated the committed from the crowd. And I believe that we're in a season, we're in an era after COVID, we saw it through COVID, that God is separating the committed from the crowd. Why don't you turn to the person beside you and say, are you a committed? Turn to the other person and say, are you a part of the crowd? That sounds a bit more than are you a part of the crowd? <laughs> And so we arrive at verse 14 to 15 and, and look what it says the people want to do. After they've seen Jesus performing signs, 
after they see that they've fed him, fed them, we find in verse 14 to 15, it reads, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus realised that they wanted to make him king, but they wanted to forcefully make him king because their needs were met. And Jesus says, in that kind of church, I will withdraw myself. Jesus withdraws himself from people that desire just to have their needs met. It goes beyond having our needs met. You know, I I hear many people and many testimonies, so I'm I'm not going to knock the testimonies because I believe that God honours it and people go on a journey to being committed Christians. But how many people say, God, if you take me out of prison, God, if, if you give me a baby, God, if you give me a husband or a wife, then I will follow you. It's almost like, God, meet my needs, then you're good. I don't hear much testimony of people that are saying, you know what, God, take my house, take my car, take everything, I want to follow you. It's normally out of desperation that people follow God. And, and, and oftentimes, people that God meets their needs, they forget him later on. And Jesus challenges the crowd and he says, I want to discern here, how many of you would really follow me? Will, will you follow me when the going gets tough? Will you follow me through the storms of life? Will you follow me through sickness or in health? And so, in verses 24 to 25, it reads, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Everybody say, seeking Jesus. That's what I call the seeker-sensitive church. That they... They want to gather crowds to meet the needs. But Jesus isn't interested necessarily in a seeker-sensitive church. He's interested in a church that is committed to following him and laying down their lives. Verse 25 goes on to say, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus then begins to challenge them. And this is where he draws the line. And he says, if you're for me, I'll be able to tell by what I say next. So verse 26, it reads, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're only following me because I met your needs. 
And you want me to continue to meet your needs. But let me tell you something. There is a cost to following me. There is a cost to following Jesus. You may not have experienced it now, but at some point and many points in your walk and journey with Jesus, you're going to be challenged. I've been walking with Jesus since 2010, and the challenges get harder and harder. But I still follow him. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you a hard teaching. You know, you you like the teaching when I talk about God bless you. You know, you're going to find favor. Raise your hands, you know, if you want to get a wife, you know, just sow, sow some money and, you know, you're going to get a blessing. Do a twirl and your husband's going to turn up next week. You, you guys like the good teaching. But he says, I'm not going to itch your ears today. I'm going to give you a hard teaching. In fact, I, I want to test you now. And this is what Jesus says in John 6, 51 to 53. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is in my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He begins to challenge them and they're talking amongst one another saying, how are we going to eat his flesh? That's disgusting. We're going to eat the king? And, and, and watch what happens. It goes on to say verse 60 to 61. This is very key. It says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? I don't know for you, maybe, I know many of you here may have been walking in the Lord much longer than me. But there are some teachings that is going to cut us to our hearts. There are some teachings where God is going to challenge us and he's going to speak to us. And in that, we're going to say, Lord, this, this is a hard saying. And Jesus said, yeah, it's a challenge, but will you still follow me? And, and some of us, like myself, I'm going to share with you soon how I felt that I thought that I could ignore the challenge and still follow him. And if you ignore the challenge, I question whether you've grieved the Holy Spirit. You know, because it's easy to say, you know what, I've ignored God and I'm still walking with him. Can I give a little bit of marriage counselling here? I've only been married for seven years. I've only been married for seven years. But you know, one of the, the worst things I can do to my wife and one of the worst things she can do to me is when she said something to me and I don't listen. And you know what she does? She goes quiet. And then I realise 
I make a mess of things, and then she's still fine. Hmm? But the thing is, I've grieved her, so she stopped speaking. And sometimes I wonder whether we've grieved the Holy Spirit that we feel like we're walking in unity with Him. We feel like there's a close relationship with Him, but actually we're drifting far. You know, can I, can I borrow someone for a moment? Just um, one volunteer. Yeah, oh, perfect. So, you know. It's good that it's a male, I needed a male for this one. <laughs> so, when me and my wife just got married. <laughs> when me and my wife just got married, I struggled to walk with her. And the reason why I struggled to walk with her is because when we walked, she used to keep putting her hips in. <laughs> she, she keeps putting her hips in. It's just like... I kept doing that and I felt uncomfortable. So, but over time, I learned the rhythm. And I learned how to walk. So, I learned to walk with her. So I could walk with my wife. But I have a friend, a deacon in our church, and his name's Isaac. And I don't like walking with him. I don't. He knows this. And I've said it many times, I don't like, because when he's talking with you and walking, if we're talking, say, yeah, how was your day? How was this? He walks into you. He, he, he can't look at you and walk straight. And so normally when he's walking with me, I stop and I let him go. And the Bible says that we must walk by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We've got to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if sometimes, because we're bumping into, you know, the challenges of God, that some of us stop walking with Him. We say, God, that's a hard saying. And God's already walking on and saying, keep in step with me. Oh God, you keep bumping into me. Thank you so much. And your, your sayings and your, your hard teaching is hard for me to walk with you. And Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to challenge you. So I'm going to say this one more time. At some point, in fact, many points in our walk with Jesus, we're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged. You know, there's a rich young ruler who understands this. It speaks about it in Matthew chapter 19, verse 20 to 24. That this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, keep the commandments. And he says, Master, I've, I've been doing this all my life. And so we pick up with this story in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 20 to 24. And it reads, the young man said to Jesus, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, 
Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. This young ruler thought he had it all together. And Jesus says to him, son, you've been doing well, but there's one thing you lack. And because of this challenge, the rich young ruler walked away. As a secondary school teacher, I've been taught we always give feedback to the children. Always give feedback from their homework, from essays. And do you know what I do? A WWW. What went well? You know, you, you answered this question well. You, you, you applied, your application to this answer was very good. But I never give a WWW without an E-B-I. What's an E-B-I? An even better if. And in our walk with Jesus, there's going to be many what, when, well. You're doing very well in your love to your sisters. You're doing very well in your tithing. You're doing very well in your devotional, in your prayer, and reading the Bible. But Jesus always has an even better if. And until the day that we die, we're going to continually be conforming into the image of his son. We're going to be challenged. Turn to the person beside you and say, we're going to be challenged. So I'm going to be preparing to close very soon. But in verse... 66 verses 66 to 69 after Jesus challenges them just like the rich young ruler this is the response of the Jews after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him just like my friend Isaac I struggle to walk with him However, my wife, we found a unity in how we walk. But these disciples no longer walked with him. And Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and says to them, do you want to go as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Disciples say, Jesus, I can't turn anywhere. Your Lord, if you don't meet our needs, we're still going to follow you. If you give us hard teachings and you challenge us, we're still going to follow you. And so I'm, I'm going to prepare to close here and I'm going to prepare to, to finish off the story that I started with. And maybe at this time, if I could have the keyboardist and the guitarist just play something softly as I share this story with you. But are you following Jesus because you're desiring to have your needs met? Or maybe you're past that stage. It's not that you 
you want to have your needs met, but you want to remain comfortable with Jesus. But I'm telling you, a road with Jesus sorry, means that there's going to be continuous change. You cannot afford to get comfortable with Jesus. Jesus himself says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you're going to follow me, follow me. He says, let the dead bury the dead, but follow me. Follow me at whatever cost. He says, if any of you desire to be my disciples, you must pick up your cross. You must deny yourself daily and follow me at whatever the cost. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Lord, this is a hard teaching, but I'm going to follow you. Lord, I, I feel like I'm a bit distant from you, Lord. Maybe you've challenged me in my life. I'm even recalling right now, this wasn't part of my sermon. But you know when Jesus was young, the Bible says that Mary and Joseph went on a feast. And after three days, they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. They, they went searching, asking friends, have you seen Jesus? And it says that they returned back to the journey where they started and there they found him. You know, maybe you've gone ahead of Jesus and you're searching for Jesus in this place. And I, I wonder, Jesus is saying, return back to that place where you left me. Return back to that place where I've challenged you and I've spoken to you. Maybe I've told you to give up on that relationship. Maybe I've told you to give up on that job. And you said, Lord, I can't do it. But you're going through the motion. You're going to church, you're praying, you're doing your devotional, but Jesus is yet far from us. And so I finish off on this story. You know, I'd left teaching in 2019 and I, I said to God, God, if I just need you to sustain me on this journey, but I'm going to give my life to you fully. Lord, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to trust you on this journey. And through lockdown, it was, it was a bit of a challenge trusting him, you know, thinking, you know, the, the church, the finances are slightly dipping. Lord, am, am I going to have to go back into teaching? And God said, trust me. And then I was expecting my second child. And my wife wasn't getting paid whilst we had our second child. And we came out of lockdown. And I was like, God, the, the finances is, is so tight. Lord, the finance is so tight. I'm going to need to do a job. Or Lord, you're going to have to provide. And I heard the Lord say to me, the Lord said to me, I will provide. So I was walking. And as I was walking, I was saying, Lord, I need you to provide. The finances are tight. I get a phone call that moment that I pray. And it's a school. They say to me, Ashley, we, we need you to work. Can you work? from Wednesday to Friday, so it's not full time. Can you do it and, and we'll help you with your money? I said, yes, I'll do it. I, I spoke to the, the elders and I said, look, I'm struggling financially. You know, can I go into teaching? And they said, that's fine. I said, look, I'm only gonna do it from, from now for about six months just to, to get my finances sorted. But if it gets too much, then 
I will pack it in. So I went into teaching and I was making this money. This was last year, November. It went into this year, January. 2020, while I was doing full time, I went back into teaching. And I was working and I was making my money so that the finances could increase. So my finances started increasing and the Lord said to me, it's now time to come out of the school. And I was, I was saying, but, but I'm, I'm gonna stay a bit longer. If I, if I stay three more months longer, then I will have money to, to reserve me in the future. So I, I stayed on to the point that I felt I was resisting the Holy Spirit. The church was growing and I couldn't meet the needs of the people but I was just going through this motion. And I was just thinking, Lord, I just need to sort out my finances till one day after church, I was speaking with one of my elders and explaining the situation with him and his wife. And they said to me, you need to come out now. And I, I said, okay, I'm gonna tell the school I'm not gonna return. Just before I'm about to tell the school I'm not gonna return, they said to me, we wanna offer you a full-time post of doing three days a week, you tell us the money you want. Before. And I said, you know what? I can't take it, I'm gonna be. And so I was preaching at this youth event about two months later and the worship was going on. And whilst the worship was going on, I felt so far from God. And I, I lifted my hands and I said, God, I'm about to preach, but I feel so far and so distant from you. Lord, what is going on? And he said to me, Ashley, when you went back into teaching, you grieved me. And he said to me, this is, uh, and theologically, some of you might wrestle with this and so forth, but this is just my relationship with God. God said to me, I forgive you, but I'm not happy. And so I, I went on two months, three months after that, just feeling the guilt. Yes, there's no condemnation, there's no shame, but feeling the guilt that God was just saying, you know what, I've forgiven you, but you didn't trust me. You didn't trust me. And I remember coming before the church on my birthday, my 30th birthday this July, I came before the church and I shared my story with them. And I said, I'm gonna trust God on this journey. And I, I kneeled down before the congregation and I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm gonna give you my life. I'm going to give you my all. And I laid flat before God. And I was convinced. I said, God, I'm going to follow you. Four weeks ago, my wife joined me full time. When she joined me full time in ministry, we, we were paying for my son's childcare, but the finances went up. And I, I literally just had the thought, I, I randomly had the thought, what if I done one day a week in the school. I literally said to my wife, I said to my wife, hey, what if I done just one day a week in the school? She said to me, no. You, you, you made that promise before the church. I said, it's just a thought, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> God as my witness, about one hour after that, the school contacted me, I've not heard from them. They contact me and they say, Ashley, we have a post. Will you come and work for us? Tell us what day you will do or what days you can do. I said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> it freaks me out. I literally said, I'm not, 
I've not responded yet, but even whilst I've been in South Africa, I've been getting messages saying, Ashley, we really want you to come and work with us. I'm sharing this with you to say that the road to following Jesus comes at a cost. And there is a challenge to it. And maybe God is challenging you in some area of your life. Or maybe you stopped hearing his voice. And today I believe that there is a challenge and a cry going out to us. To say, will you follow me when the going gets tough? Am I king and lord over your life? Or am I just a king that you forcefully made to meet your needs?